All right, guys, welcome back to the Couch Critics MMA podcast. We're joined now by another returning guest on the show, Colby, the Golden Boy Thickness, back to talk all things UFC 267 and UFC 268 this weekend. There's a bunch to digest from last weekend, and then there's a bunch more this weekend. I feel like this weekend coming up is probably the most stacked card of the year. Um, But we'll get into that. But first, we've got to get into last weekend's Early, early UFC 267. Um, started at like 1.30. I don't know if you had your alarm set. Were you watching the prelims? Uh, nah, man. I actually, uh, I got up around, I think, 5.30 to watch for... I actually, I just missed the Hums Up fight because I sort of slipped through my first alarm. Ended up getting around up around 5.30, so I caught a rest. But funny enough, my um, fucking twin was actually out partying. So he ended up staying up and just kicking on through and watching all the fights. So I got updates from like... 1am to like five o'clock when I was up about what was going down. So I pretty much got filled in anyway. Bro, I seen his, <laughs> his Instagram story. He was watching Hamza. He was blind, bro. Oh, he was done for, eh? He was done. <laughs> Crack up. That's a reason to keep going though. Fuck, what a yeah. card, man. What oh, a man. Card. Um, there's a bunch to digest, man, like I said. And we'll pump through the first few fights. So we'll start at the top, man. The light heavyweight championship was on the line with Jan Blahovic and Glover Teixeira. And, man, Glover got it done with a round two sub pretty in pretty dominant fashion, man. Um, and it felt kind of like all was good in the world for me personally. <laughs> um, it was so it, bittersweet, huh? Yeah, To see Glover win was so good and to see Jan lose is sad, but... Hundred percent. How was it? How was it for you? Were you happy to see it end and Glover finally reaching, getting that luxurious UFC UFC title? Yeah, man. Like it's the sort of guy like Glover, you can't not help but sort of feel good to see with Blake's like the actual like up and downs of the career trajectory that that he's been through. Like you want to see like as much as you hate to see someone like Young lose, he's such a good guy. Like him losing to someone like Glover, you just, you can't help. Like I was happy for like the rest of a day. Like that first mm-hmm. round when he took him down and held him down, I was like, oh, I was like, Glover can do this for the next four rounds. I think he can win him. And then that second round where he got him down, passed straight to side control and got to mount. I was like, fuck, he might get it done here. And then got to the mount, got the choke under his chin, man. I was cheering. I was celebrating. Like it's just, I don't think there was anybody else pretty much besides like Alex, obviously because I have that mutual connection, but anyone like, from a sort of just a fighter from the outside perspective. I don't think there's anyone else I ever sort of wanted to see win a belt as much as Glover. Just for like, like I said, just that sort of career where the ups and downs, it just sort of proves like if you stick to it and you keep putting in the work, eventually you can sort of get to the end goal of being a champ. 100%. It's like the, it's like the Bisping when he got to his gold. It's like whether you love him or hate him, which a lot of people hate a Bisping, you're happy to see it at the end. The, it's earned. It's well earned. It is, yeah. man. The roller coaster of a long career, finally getting to that gold. Um, but were you, were you surprised that it was that dominant by Glover? Did you see that route to victory, obviously taking Yarn to the ground and 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 getting the submission there? Did you think it would come that easy to Glover? Um, honestly, no. Like Yarn's something interesting. He said he left his like polished power in the hotel room, so I don't know if he was feeling off or something like that during the fight. He may have. But I thought if Glover was to get the win, I thought it might have been like the last few where he ended up getting rocked pretty badly and the guy might overcommit and he gets him that way. But pretty much like mm-hmm. I don't think Yarn really heard him in any of the exchanges or anything. And Glover pretty much just well-timed shot, took him down and implemented his game plan. It worked perfectly. I thought uh, 
out and would have had better defense on the ground, to be honest, purely because I saw what he was doing at Izzy. So obviously his top control is that. But then again, we haven't seen him very active active off his bottom line. In the first round, holding the guard and sort of staying there defending, he was doing fine by not letting Glover pass. But in the second round, I thought he may have had a few more defensive answers, but it goes to show and prove how good Glover is jiu-jitsu is. Him just sort of like, he pretty much, in the second round, <clears throat> pardon me, pretty much sliced him like a knife through butter in a sense, like got him down, passed the legs, get to side, got on top, threw some shots, gave the neck and submitted him fairly quickly for a finishing sequence. Yeah, do you reckon Glover? He looks kind of like unassuming. It, the strength of him, it feel. I feel like he's super strong. I don't know if it's that old man strength that you feel at at jujitsu. <laughs> them old dudes that just have that fucking vice grip. But yeah, Jan is massive and he's strong. Like as you said, we seen against Izzy. But man, he got like ragdolled as soon as Glover grabbed him. It was like you're stuck. You're not getting away. Yeah, I think he does have that sort of like that real freakish look. And not that Jan would have underestimated him, but I don't know. I feel like there's a certain level in preparation. If Jan was fighting a 28-year-old killer who was 10-0 on an unbeaten street looking like, he may have been a that bit more alert. He may not have sort of left his Polish power. He might, in that hotel, he may have been on from the get-go. But somewhere against Glover, I feel like he might, he's just that deceptive character. Like, oh, he might start slow. He's an older dude. He's going to sort of slow grind me up. But then for him to sort of just get through Jan, how we do this, man, it's impressive. Fuck yeah. For sure. And obviously the man that was waiting in the wings in the building was uh, Jerry Prakashna, um, obviously next in line for Glover at the light heavyweight there. And talking about a young buck, man, he's as young and crazy and as exciting as it gets. So what do you, what do you think of that matchup? Um, personally, it felt like I thought Glover was, I wasn't sure if he was going to retire after that fight, like get the belt and retire mm-hmm. sailing to the sunset. So I'm curious to see how these match up. I know I'm curious to get your thoughts on the, the matchup with Yuri. Um, man, I was fortunate enough to watch Yuri um, live when he fought Reyes W Apex and seeing oh, him actually oh, fight yeah. in like in person, like the energy he brings, like it's definitely something special and stuff like that. But the only thing is he is very wild when he fights and he hasn't mm-hmm. fought a sort of a really grappling heavy guy like Glover. And I feel like Glover's path to success will be A, even where he ha- we have seen him get rocked, they overcommit and he takes him down, but purely because Yuri is so unorthodox and that, he might throw that sort of unorthodox big looping shot or something. If Glover can time his takedowns, I think he will be pretty successful. After seeing what he'd done to Yarn on the ground, I would be fairly certain in saying that Glover could probably submit Yuri pretty comfortably if not almost TKO and finish him there. But then again, we see Yuri's power on the feet. Like he hits like an absolute truck. He's unpredictable. Right now, sort of going off if how I saw the last fights, I would probably have to favor Glover by submission, purely off what we see. But I wouldn't be surprised if Yuri does get it done by just a sort of spectacular knockout. I think it's got to be a shot like that for Yuri because for Glover, man, I feel like with age, I don't know if it's the way with he, he rolls with the shots or something, but I feel like he can eat a shot better than he ever could. Um, and yeah, he, he gets it rocked. I think the recovery, like mm. this, kind of like the Diaz, how he, he just takes his time and chills. So mm. back in the day, I don't know if other people less experienced, you, you don't handle it as well, but because he's been rocked so many times, I don't know if that's a thing. But, man, he fucking handles it like a G. You see against Anthony Smith, Santos as yeah. well, he just – 
stays calm and then just destroys you. I think it's like you said, is that staying calm sort of thing. Whereas the first time you get rocked, it's like your brain gets rattled and you just have sort of your equilibrium's out and you have no idea what's going on. But Glover's been there, so he can get sort of rocked. Not that you ever get familiar with it, but you get more comfortable being in that situation and you're smart with it. You're not going to try and engage on the feet and that. You're going to shoot back in for your shots. I think that's where Glover's really sort of taken a shine, whereas you see a lot of these guys, they get hurt. They try and hurt the guys back. But Glover's smart. He gets hurt. He shoots him for the clinch, which is where he's naturally the best and also where he's staying a lot safer than he was to continue on the feet. 100. Absolutely, man. We'll move down the card into the co-main event. I'm sure you're paying extra attention to this one. We had Petty Yarn and Corey the Sandman said, Hagen, Petty Yarn got it done. Um, unanimous decision all across the board. I wanted to know, man, how did you score the fight? How did you see the fight? Were you happy that it went that way? Did you think Peter got it done? Yeah, I thought I was um, very confident that Peter got the decision. I was thinking either 3-2 or 4-1, depending. I think yeah. I had it down... 4-1, but either way, the first one one was definitely Corey's, two was a bit of a swing around, and the next three were definitely Yarn. I thought it was just a sort of a tremendous matchup of not just like of actual two good guys, but actually showcasing fighting ability. Like there were so many little details that it's, I think the best way to describe the fight is that tremendous rewatch value, just not for the fight, but to actually like technical study it and watch like how Yarn got the reads early, Sanhagen made the correct adjustments, but Jan adjusted to his adjustments. And from there, once Jan sort of saw everything Sanhagen had, started to understand his unorthodox movement, and that was just pretty much a Jan show after that. And it's the story of all of his fights, though. Hey, it feels yeah. like he, I feel like he's honestly one of the most highest fight IQ in the UFC with the way he makes reads the first two rounds. He almost always loses the first round, even against Aldo, mm-hmm. even against Uriah Faber. And then, you know, he catches wind towards the back end of the end of the fight, especially in the five rounders, which I think suit him to a T. Um, but for Sandman, I think, man, like, does anything need to change for him? I feel like he's, he's right in there in these close fights. Like you, you look at him with TJ, you look at him with Yanni, just gets etched out. I don't know if that's going to come with experience, being able to close these fights out, or I guess, does it just prove how top heavy the, the elites are at the band and weight that anyone can just get it done on the day? I think it comes down to anyone can get done, but also the sort of stylistic matchups. Like I don't think someone like Corey with his style, it's very unorthodox, it's hard to read, but like we saw with TJ, Corey's, if you can sort of nullify what he does and just sort of, grind him out and just beat him to the punchline. You can sort of almost shut him out because he's very unorthodox. He throws a lot of volume. Even though he does have the sort of um, spectacular knockouts, like the flying knee and the spinning back kicks and that, he doesn't actually have a lot of sting in his actual puncher sort of thing. Like Jan hurt Corey a lot more in the exchanges than um, Corey hurt him. You saw Corey landed a lot more significant strikes than I think almost every round over the last four rounds. But Jan still won because instead of going, Peter Patter sort of thing. Jan was really stepping in the shots. Perfect example was when Jan did the jab, step through cross, step back to the jab, and he walked him almost halfway across the map with three straight punches sort of thing. Whereas Corey wasn't able to do that sort of stuff to Jan, whereas Jan was able to do it to Corey. So I think maybe developing a bit more pop in his shots. But then again, you can always say like he does have the pop with the flying knees, the spinning back kicks and that. But if that's going to be your sort of options against someone like Yarn, who's so defensively sound with his hands up, making a reads and that early, I think Yarn's a very hard guy to finish in a sort of spectacular fashion, the way he finished um, Frankie or 
Marlon Marias. I think he's the sort of guy you're going to have to either commit to beat him over five rounds or just going to have to sort of try and outpace him, out-adjust him, which is, I don't know if there's anyone in the 135 division who can do that. Mm, I agree. I feel like um, Petian could almost fight for like hours on end with his style. <laughs> like he's so defensively sound and he's so like conservative of his gas tank. I feel like everyone just after the third, fourth, they, they just wilt. And it was interesting to see that for Corey. But for me, man, it feels good. Like I was stoked when that fight got announced, Petian and Corey, um, after like Corey taking the TJ fight, which he didn't really need to take. So I was glad to see him get his shot at a title. Um, but now I look at it like Corey's lost to Aljo, he's lost to Petian, he's lost to TJ. It looks like Petian and, and Aljo are going to get matched up now. What's what's sort of next for Corey? Is, does he wait for TJ to heal and would TJ take that second fight or is TJ going to sit out for the winner of Aljo and Petian? I'm interested in what you think of the landscape at 35 now. I think TJ will probably, I think it would be smart and I think he will want to sit out for the Sterling and Jan fight. I do think Jan takes that pretty comfortably. I don't see any adjustments mm. that Sterling can really make to sort of get it done. So then I wouldn't be surprised if they do Dillashaw, Jan, and I'm fairly confident in the same sort of thing. Dillashaw might get that first round against Jan, but I'm pretty sure Jan's just going to run away with it sort of thing. But for Corey, I think maybe against the oh, – it's going to be hard because then you have Rob Font and Aldo coming up. Mm-hmm. Maybe give him mm. the – loser of that because then obviously the winner of that might want to go on or you can give him someone even a bit further down the rankings like a Cheetah Vera or someone like that to sort of try and get him that win back get his confidence back and sort of get his streak going again yeah that's a good point I think yeah well Cheeto's fighting this weekend um, yeah with Frankie, Frankie so yeah. that could yeah that could be an interesting you could get the winner of that if it's Cheeto I don't think I'd like to see him versus Frankie again no. but you pretty much answered my last question on that um, with Petty Yarn and Aljamain, I wanted to see if you think there could have been any adjustments that Aljo can make in his time off, and um, you answered it pretty clearly there. So we might shoot down the card, man, to our one Anzac that was on the card. Dan Hooker, that unfortunately come up short against Islam Markachev, pretty dominant, or pretty, yeah, pretty yeah. dominant when the, um, the fight hit the ground, man. Um, I want to get your thoughts on it. Did you did you see it going that way? Did you think that Islam would be that dominant and controlling once it did get Dan down? And did you think it would be over that quickly? To be honest, I was I was thinking Dan would have obviously it's hard to say, but I thought Dan would have been able to stop the takedown, especially in that mm. first round. I thought he would have been uh not better with his range, but able to use it more successfully. And then when he did get him down, I thought he would have been able to create the scrambles or anything more. But obviously, Islam is sort of like as legit as it comes sort of thing. He's obviously on that next level. Like shutting down someone like Dan Hooker like that, which is just incredibly hard. We've never seen Dan getting held down like that. And even the way he was able to control, slowly pass the legs, attack the Kimura, bring the leg over the head, and then attempt to finish that way. And all a very sort of controlled, methodical, not letting anything get to him. And he just sort of had the goal, got him down, and just followed the game plan to a T like. Even though it sucks to see Dan, like someone like Dan lose, you've got to respect Islam for like the caliber of fighter mm. he is and being able to do something like that to Dan Hooker. For sure. And I think it's a shame because I looked, I, I, I kind of looked at Dan Holden, probably one of the biggest threats to Islam in that top five, just because of how he works with his knees, man. Them knees, like you look at his Ross Pearson, Jim Miller knockout, it's like, man, if he can, you know, catch Islam coming in like that, that's, that's game. But, 
Um, yeah, it was a shame to see it go that way, but you pretty much touched on it there. I wanted to ask, do you think Islam has the potential like he gets the credit for, like the DC and Habib? They've been on his boat since Habib was the champion. Do you think it's starting? he's starting to prove that, starting to warrant that that hype he's been getting off them guys? Yeah, definitely. I wasn't too sure. I think the only problem with the hype he was getting is that obviously you sort of see the hype compared to the level of competition, and it's always easy mm-hmm. to hype guys up against when they obviously aren't fighting the sort of top 15, top 10, top five guys. But after seeing what he'd done to Dan, obviously, like, he probably, it is what they truly say about. I think I heard somewhere they're saying that Khabib's hardest rounds were against Islam in the gym. And you can obviously see why, like, his striking's good, he's got the good fundamentals, and his, like, wrestling ground control is just, it's a Dagestani level. Like, you've got next levels, then you've got fucking Dagestani level of wrestling. It's just elite. And there's more to come, and they're just coming and coming. And coming. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. scary. But um, where to for Islam now, man? He called for the title shot. Um, I think he was ranked fifth going into this, and Dan was sixth. So where to for him? A name that I like is the Benil Dariush. Yeah. Um, I think he's sitting at three or four there. So where do you think's next? Do you think he jumps straight to the title, or he takes on a guy like Benil? I want to see those sort of three main um guys. I want to see, but pretty much. Actually, no, I'll say two. It was either Burns because I want to see him fight a legit jiu-jitsu competitor off his back mm-hmm. who's been in there with good guys. So Dariush would be a perfect example. Clifford Dariush is actually um, – I was talking to Craig Jones when the fights were happening and we are just texting back and forth with a hooker fight. And afterwards, I was like – I even asked him. I was like, who do you think has – like, is there anyone who can have a grappling throw? And he said probably only Dariush. And he's trained with all the, like, best guys from, like, 155 to like 205 and even this was back when we were from ultimate fighter and he even said i asked him i was like who has the best like sort of jiu-jitsu or not even jiu-jitsu but ground game you've trained without mma guys and even back then he was telling me he's like oh probably dariush had like the most like legit grappling credentials so i think someone like dariush would be a awesome matchup he said that he could probably sort of do a lot more defensive stuff to trouble Islam on the ground, if not even attack off the back and make Islam uncomfortable. Then also you have someone like a Gilbert Burns, who's very, mm-hmm. even though I don't think Burns would come back down to lightweight for that sort of fight, maybe a super fight down the line. If Islam does sort of get the belt, you could sort of do a give Islam. I'd love to see that fight, but I'm thinking Darius would probably be sort of the best name for him at the moment. For 100%. sure. And Benil's kind of got that old, I feel like he's got the old man strength like Glover too. So yeah. I'd, I'd love to see that go to the he's ground. He's got the nice guy strength. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nicest guy in the league. <laughs> um, but yeah, as for Dan, going back, jumping back to Dan, man, I don't think he loses too much from this. Like he took a crazy opportunity um, on a few weeks notice that not many people would, especially taking on someone like Islam, made a boatload of money, bought his daughter a house, I think he said. Yeah goes home without taking too much damage, I think I think he come out a winner in this. And I don't think he loses anything from this, Dan. No, especially seeing as he's been like, he hasn't been able, he wasn't at home for it. He didn't have his normal training partners. He was pretty much like out celebrate. He fought with Volk. They'll out celebrate him the next week. Then boom, the four weeks mm-hmm. time, you got to fight someone like Islam. Like obviously Dan's an elite competitor. He's always ready. But that being said, like he didn't have too much to lose realistically. Like he came out of a fight. Didn't cop any damage. I'm pretty sure, like, his shoulders, everything fine. Like, maybe his ego is hurt a little bit like that, but I'm sure the, like, paycheck he would have would have compensated greatly for that. And then he can always go back, reset from 
with the city. I don't know what city kickboxing boys' plans are, but once he gets back home, then he can sort of do a full camp and then he can sort of come back and see what next for him. For sure, man. We'll touch on the last fight that I really want to dive into on this card because there's a bunch to get through for next uh, this upcoming weekend. But obviously, the return of Hamzat Shemaev versus Li Jingliang. Hamzat did it impressively, as always. Round one submission, man. Um, did you see it going this way? It's been a, it's been a while since we've seen Hamzat. Um, obviously, with the COVID issues, and then when he did return, he had the trouble on the scales, which I was a bit weary about. Um, yeah, were you worried about him coming back, or did you, um, I guess, see it happening like this? I wasn't too worried about seeing him come back. I know that COVID affected him pretty badly, but there's a few guys, like obviously I had that close experience with Volk having it, but then also guys like Cody Garbrandt had it extremely bad. Leon Edwards had it pretty bad. There's another name on the top of my head. I can't think of it right now, but there's been a few MMA guys who's had it bad. But as long as you take the time to recover in that, I don't think it's as biggest factor as people sort of saying that with the weight i thought that was a bit iffy but then again like there's been plenty of guys who like easy something could have been like scales could have miscalculated um, or something like that so i don't necessarily know if it was due to like a sort of uh, a bad weight cut or health issue sometimes guys just it takes an extra 40 minutes to cut half a pound than it did for all your other cuts and even though, so you might be rocking up 40 minutes later than you normally do, the cut's still the same. It's just a timing difference or something that can make it back. When he missed it the first time, I was like, oh, I wonder how this is going. But seeing I was only half a pound, I didn't, th- didn't think that would make a difference. Now for the actual fight, I thought, man, once he grabbed him, it was just super impressive what he'd done. I would have liked to see uh, Leach take a different game plan, though, especially with someone like someone like comes out who you know is going to sort of want to look for that takedown. I just, I don't think, standing up and sort of coming forward with a one-two to open against a good wrestler is the smartest approach with someone that comes up. I think once he does fade a, a sort of sort of a more high-level guy, he's going to sort of realise like these guys aren't just going to rush in and try and punch and give him that shot. I feel like a good game plan would be to come out, touch the gloves, and then let Hamzat control the centre where he wants and start working off a back foot, flick things out, and don't let Hamzat get in to that takedown range straight away where Leach sort of came out, he tried to throw the big one too, and boom, it gave Hamza the perfect opportunity, which is sort of one-on-one. If you're going to fight a guy who gets it to the ground, you don't want to start the fight coming forward, shooting straight for the head. You want to sort of establish the low kicks, establish your body work, give them threats when they want to threaten the level change. A good example is like Dan Hooker, like just throw half committal knees up the center to sort of really sort of, sort of um, what would you say, get them hesitant to shoot sort of thing. Yeah, Whereas Leach just... Came straight forward, good on Hamzad. He picked him up. I didn't think he was going to have that much ground control where he picked him up, grabbed him. 10 seconds later, he's talking to Dana, dumps him in the corner, and then just absolutely smothers him from there. Sure. I think it's man. And once he, I think he will face some problems once he comes up against, you know, the real elite guys and going off. Going off where welterweight landscape is right now, man, people are talking. I know names have been thrown out like Nate Diaz. Um, Vicente Luque has been thrown out. A name that I really like for Hamzat is what you mentioned earlier, Gilbert Burns. Yep. Um, I think they match up well. But, yeah, like Jingling, <laughs> Jingliang, wasn't, <laughs> like he wasn't a ranked guy. So yep. I think I think for Hamzat, man, they're going to slow the role in terms of – and Nate Diaz makes sense because Nate Diaz is Nate Diaz. Yep. 
But yeah. I don't know. I like I like enjoying this ride with Hamzat, man. And I think we've got to slow. I don't want to see him get shot straight to the top. Like they've even been talking about a title shot with Usman mm-hmm. already, which is just bizarre. So I think we've got to slow the roll. I do like the Nate Diaz fight. Um, what do you like for Hamzat? Do you I, like them names? I think that if you're a Hamzat fan, the Diaz fight would be top choice. I think Hamzat... Mm-hmm. Honestly, pretty much squashes Diaz. After seeing Diaz and Leon, I rewatched that a couple of weeks ago. And Leon, even he was able to was able to trip Diaz pretty comfortably on the feet. And even with the ground yeah. controls, able to hold him down, control his back and stuff like that. And Leon isn't known as a heavy grappler. I think if Hamza, if they give Diaz to Hamza, I'm pretty sure it's just like I don't think it's going to be as bad. But I'd almost say it's like putting like almost a lamb out to slaughter. She's going to be a Big name on Hamza's resume. I don't think it's going to be a great challenge for him. Someone like Luke, on the other hand, or even someone like Burns, or even I was thinking maybe the winner of Kiesa and Brady coming up this week because they're because um, oh, Sean and Brady, they're both strong grapplers. They're both big, good guys for the vision. They're both well established. And I think that I honestly would rather see him versus the winner of. Um, Kiesa and Brady, and then if he gets through them, then you can start talking like the top guys. Then you can be like, okay, we'll give him a Burns or a Luke, get through that, and then we can give him a title shot compared to someone like theirs, whereas obviously we're all still going to watch it, but I wouldn't be surprised if Hamza just goes out there and just ragdolls Diaz for a couple of rounds, even finishes him pretty early. Yeah, I think that'll be the case for sure. Um, Neil Bagney's also been calling him out still. Yeah. He's just committed to it, eh? Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a good one. He's he's ranked and it's not the toughest matchup for Hamza if they want to build him because I feel like Dana wants to – he's on Hamza's side for sure. So I think that would be a good next step. And then, yeah, obviously, or the Brady Kiesa winner. They're, them type of dudes should be next. I reckon even two or three of them before you get to the Burnses and the Usmans and stuff. I like that, man. I like the mm. winner of Brady. I, didn't, I forgot about that fight, to tell you the truth. Kiesa and Brady, I think that's – they both offer problems for Hamzat that we haven't really seen yeah. before, along with the guys down the track like Burns and stuff. But for sure, man, that's well to to move on from. I feel like we would talk about that card. It's almost two separate podcasts. We've got that much to talk <laughs> about. Man. A couple of other performers on the card we had in the um, feature prelim. Amanda Hebes got the job done over Vander. Uh, Verna Jandaroba walked out to. Island boy, I don't know if you've seen that the the shit on the Instagram of the Island boy with Ariel Hawani. Oh, did she walk out to that song? Oh God, <laughs> I didn't see that. Eh? Funniest <laughs> oh, thing ever, man. That's that content last week was fucking crazy. Bro, Volko had a story listening to that the other yeah, day. He, actually, he, yeah. he likes it. Eh? He's pumped it out the gym like once or twice now. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's funny man but i thought that was a funny little thing for the feature prelim um a, a tough guy andre petrovsky got the job done he submitted a dude in the third round on the prelims there too but we'll move on my guy to this weekend stacked ufc card we got ufc 268 <laughs> initially i thought i thought that this card wasn't getting as much hype as what it deserves but i think that's just because like we obviously had the UFC last weekend and had to digest all that. But later towards this week, man, it's starting to like really pop off. Like the embeddeds have started and I'm I'm just I'm just jobbing for this whole card. Every mm. fight on this main card is just unreal. Um but I want to get your thoughts. We'll start from the top again, man. Okay. Kamara Usman versus Colby Covington to I guess are you excited for this rematch? As excited as I am. Are you happy that they went with Colby over Leon Edwards for the rematch? 
um, and all them questions. What are your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, I think it's an interesting matchup. I think it's good that they gave Colby the fight rematch. It's pretty much going to put it to end. Um, I think it's going to be good to see because both these guys have changed gyms since their last fight. And they're both sort of not so much Colby, but Usman has definitely sort of adapted and changed his style a bit more, whereas he was sort of a lot more just pressure coming forward. Now now he's a lot more calculated on his feet. He's got a lot more footwork. He's working with a good coach with Trevor Whitman. And we've seen the leaps and bounds improve in his striking from sort of just have you watched a couple of fights ago on the first Colby where he was pretty flat-footed and just happy to trade. Then you see him knocking out guys like Burns, switching stances from stiff, strong jabs from both stances and blitzing in against Mazadol to KO and him stiff sort of thing like that. Um, improvements he makes working with Trevor Whitman has been greatly sort of like, I think it's going to really show in this fight compared to the first fight. We just have Colby who's went to MMA Masters. We saw him fight Woodley after he's changed his gyms. And then again, it was impressive what he's done, but it wasn't necessarily as impressive what Usman's done because we've seen Woodley get dominated like that before. It wasn't like he went out there and just, he beat Woodley convincingly, but it wasn't something to the level what have what Usman's been doing where he's been knocking out the likes of Burns, Mazadol and that. For sure. How much, I want to ask, man, how much improvement, I know we haven't seen much of Colby and what you said is just then is pretty much the common storyline, I feel like, mm-hmm. with this. Um, we haven't seen much from Colby, but we've seen Usman improve leaps and bounds. I just want to ask, man, how much improvement can be made behind closed doors in the gym? Because that could also be a scary thought that we haven't seen Colby in this long actually um, in the octagon. So how much improvement can be made behind closed doors? I think... I don't think it's uh, what's I want to put a percentage up, but I'd say there's probably like a good 30% chance that Colby could come out looking like a brand new fighter and just pretty much like not shock everyone, but people are going to be like, holy shit, this guy has been put in the work because what people mm-hmm. don't understand is once you get to a um, certain level, a lot of the little things you do in the gym, they can translate really sort of greatly into a fight. Like Usman's a perfect example. We've seen the footwork stuff he was doing in the gym translate to his fighting skills. So who knows? Colby may have been making the same sort of significant jumps in his game or even greater jumps, but we just haven't seen that because he hasn't been fighting. I don't think Colby's the type of guy, like I've spoken to a few people who train with that, like, and they say he's just a workhorse. He's in the gym every single day, busting his ass regardless, always learning, like cut out of a persona and that he's just a pretty much true martial artist. His head's screwed on. He's got the right people around him. There's no yes man. He's trying to do everything right by the book. So I wouldn't be surprised if we come out and sort of see like a brand new Colby Covington out there. I think it's a possibility. The only problem is after seeing him fight Woodley, there wasn't a great um, improvement sort of thing. But then again, that might have been because they already had the strategy to beat Woodley where he didn't need to show off any new things. But mm-hmm. he might come out against Usman and he might have all these new tools and everything, new skills and new different game plans where it's going to make the this fight look um, vastly different from the first fight. And I think he, and I think he had to though, right? Because if Usman obviously is still the champion, so his end goal is to, to get back to Usman. So... And he, and he didn't get it done last time. So he has to make these adjustments. And I think, yeah, be, him being out of the spotlight for however long, I think his fight with, um, 
Woodley was months, like it was a while ago. So I think that's a scary thought, man. And I think there's more to this than what people are thinking. People are seeing that common storyline of uh, Marty Usman's had these three fights and shown improvements in his striking. But, man, I think it's a scary thought, Colby, not seeing anything from Colby. I think that's a very scary thought. It is too because you can't game plan as much or something like mm. Colby because at least with Usman, you know, you can sort of, okay, here are his footwork patterns. You're like, here's his new sort of defensive tendencies. Here's his new like attacking tendencies. There's a tape on there and there's a footage just study. Whereas if, so if Colby can get himself familiar with that sort of stuff, it'll make him more comfortable. Whereas if Usman doesn't have anything to study except their last fight and the Woodley fight, and Colby comes out looking like a brand new fighter, you have Colby who already has half a reads on Usman just from studying him and sort of emulating him in training. Then Usman, who has no reads on the new Colby because purely he hasn't fought someone like this before. And then he has to make the reads on the fly, which can play a factor in how the fight will play out. Sure, that's super interesting um, storyline with this. But let's just say the this normal storyline is right. Usman gets it done. Say finishes Colby. Where does where does that put Usman in the welt? We'll say the welterweight goat discussion. But he's almost getting towards the goat goat discussion. But where's it put him? We'll start with the welterweight goat discussion. Um, oh, it's always hard because. DSP is just such a fan favourite and his resume sort of speaks for itself. I feel like Usman does need a few more title defences, but right for now, the way it's looking, if he gets through Colby, there's not a lot of people really left for him to take on. Like you pretty much have, who would be the next one? Maybe Luke would probably be the newer sort of. Yeah. 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 And then someone like that. Yeah, Leon as well. And then, yeah, so... See, say you spent go through Colby, it makes it look easier than the first fight, gets another two or three wins in that division. I think you do have to start saying maybe he is surpassing George Sampier and even Khabib, where it's just for active title defense. If he stays active, we might be having a chat in like 12 to 18 months down the line talking Usman's four, three, four title defenses plus from here, and we've got a new sort of goat on our hands. Mm, that's what it's hard for him as well because in the goat discussion gsp is always at the top and he's the welterweight as well so he's pretty much the goat is in his weight class so it's hard so if you beat if he becomes the welterweight goat he's basically the fucking goat anyway so yeah that's a good point oh, yeah right on the, on the on the other side though man what if uh we do see a new colby and he comes out he gets the job done does it call for a trilogy i think i think it has to right yeah definitely i think if Colby gets it done. I think that's the only fight that makes sense. I was like, unless Usman's like extremely injured and then you have um, Jorge or Leon get a quick KO and it might be like six, eight months down the line for Usman to come back. They can chuck uh, Jorge or Leon in there because it's obviously bad blood with them against Colby. But I think if Colby gets it done, like I think especially the way he's on the mic and that, I think the trilogy will just sell itself sort of thing. For me, um, 100%. <laughs> honestly, I'm just thinking, I'm like, for me, I'm happy either way who wins because, like, I love watching Usman be great and be, uh, you love greats being great, like mm-hmm. watching John Jones on runs. But for me, man, I've been looking at the pound for pound rankings and I see Usman's number one, I see Volko's number two. <laughs> so I'm happy either way. <laughs> so if, Col- if Colby beats Usman, I know Colby's not going to go to number one. So that means Volko is going to jump to number one pound for pound. And I just think for Australia and especially our area, man, that would just be the cherry on top. 
especially yeah man i was i was actually talking to someone not so long i was like don't get me wrong um if i have to pick i think usman's gonna win but purely because how the pound for pound is ranking us i'm cheering for colby like that's what i said if yeah. usman loses he's gonna have to drop down a slot bulk is gonna have to up a slot then how good would it be to say you got the pound for pound number ranked fire in the world in a local area sort of thing yeah well, well also if depending on how far, say if usman does lose where he um say if he drops to three then you got Izzy at number two as well so mm-hmm. your two pound for pound would be the, the two Anzacs. australia yeah, two Anzacs, Anzacs. yeah. Just, right that would just ah. be for australia and new zealand that would just be honestly the cherry on top like, that's it's just it. awesome i'm such a kamaro's fan and now i'm going for colby yeah, like, that's, <laughs> where <I'm at. laughs> that's where i'm at with it, a little but, bastard um, <laughs> we'll jump down we'll jump down to the co-main event man this Oh, this car just keeps getting better and better. I'm so fucking excited for this fight. Another Trevor Whitman fighter. We got Rose Namajunas versus Weili Zhang, number two. It's a rematch, man. I don't even know where to start for this. So my thoughts on it, man. The first fight ended by Rose capitalizing on a pattern, obviously set by Zhang with the how she was slipping back. She thought, it was, she, kick, was, yep. she, thought she was checking mm-hmm. a kick and, and got caught with a head kick. So we don't really know nothing on this fight. Mm-hmm. really and yeah, I it was think, too quick to, yeah, to get just, a read on anything i think it's the same storyline going in like i don't know it was so tightly contested it was almost and right now i know it's even odds like it's everyone thinks someone say rose someone say way lee so i want to get your thoughts on it man like is it still that close is it gonna be is it gonna need to be a shot like that by a mastermind trevor whitman i know you can only set you only set so many patterns and you can only capitalize on so many things like that and i know rose is the best in the game at that but does it have to be something like that to separate them how do you think these two match up that's the only thing i don't like about where you have the sort of one minute real quick ko's into the Mm. instant rubber matches it's purely it's like they're pretty much doing that first fight again because realistically anyone can get caught cold like even if you had um good example just be Connor and Aldo, if they did that immediate rematch, I guarantee the fight wouldn't play out the same way. Not saying Aldo might have won that, but it would have been a completely different fight for the first one. So who knows? Wei Li might come out this one and dominate. However, the only thing I didn't like is even though people do it, I still don't think the way um, Wei Li was really sort of excuse, not excuse heavy, but she had a few sort of excuses and stuff like that, right? Don't think that's a good mentality to have as a champion. We see someone like Rose, when she lost the belt, she was like, oh, it's just this champion. Like she said a few things got to her, but she didn't say anything got to her about the actual fighting. It was more being the champion and that sort of stuff, which got to her mentality. Whereas Wei Lee was blaming like the fans. She doesn't like seeing people get injured beforehand the jet lag yeah. and stuff like that, which is all legitimate things. But at the end of the day, if you're a world championship fighter, you shouldn't have to have excuses for why I get caught cold. You should be able to say, oh, no, I got caught cold. Shit happens. I want to prove why I'll be the best in the rematch sort of thing. However, how the fight plays out, I think, um, it's tough. The thing I think the longer it goes, I think it may favour Wei Lee purely because yeah. – Rose does have a tendency to fall off a little bit, especially in the high intensity fights with Whaley Rank. A good example is someone like Jessica Andrade in that third fight, yeah, where yeah. Rose is piecing her up for the first two, and then she started to fade, and Andrade can turn it on. And Whaley is someone you don't want to fade. Just see her against Joanna. She's going to be in there for the five rounds. Whereas I think Rose needs to really sort of try and 
I think Rose can beat her over five rounds, but Rose needs to control the pace, the tempo, and she needs to fight her fight. If Wei Li starts to make it a dogfight, starts to make it scrappy, initiates her through scrambles and stuff like that, I think we can see sort of Wei Li pull ahead with a fight and then end up running away with her momentum. However, if Rose can come out, stay cool, calm, sort of collected, and sort of play her fight, as soon as the first clapper goes and she's just on the ball, staying behind her jab, staying sharp with the kicks and everything, I think she could comfortably do it. For sure. And that was the question. That was the question in the first fight. Hey, like for me, that was my worry after seeing Rose with Andrade and Bo talks about it. He's stresses out because he's like, man, Andrade, um, Rose was starting to get caught towards the end there against Andrade. Like you can't do that against Wei Li. And that was the question in the first fight with Wei Li. But like we said, we didn't get to see it go that long. And I think it's still the same question and the same worry for Rose. But like you said, man, I think if Rose is on and Rose is really on um, in her own mentality, then I think she's almost unbeatable in that division. Yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, Rose, I don't know. Like you have these mythical fighters. I think like, well, I don't know what you say, like, um, on Rose Never Nunes is pretty much the best sort of 115 like female yeah, fighter out like sort of like she's just if she's on her mentality is right she's not in her own head or anything and all the I watched a bit of her interviews like she's saying now she's saying all the right things whereas before she was saying she didn't like like the pressure of being champion now she's saying she loves the championship she loves the lifestyle she loves like all the things that comes along yeah, I feel like if she sort of comes out and if she can sort of show that she really is enjoying this process and everything, I think not only will she beat Wei Lee, I think she's going to knock off a lot of contenders for a long while to come. And who, is, and who is there? Say she does beat Rose, like... Carla Spars is waiting. And she, yeah, to get that win back over her too. But, mm -hmm. like, I look at... You look at Rose, you look at Wei Lee, and you look at Joanna. They're really 1A, B and C. Like, they're the, they're the top of the heap there. I know... um. Oh, I forgot her name, the fucking rest of that. Suarez. Suarez. Yeah. I know she would, obviously, once she's healed and she will pose a different threat. Mm -hmm. But I think who else Who else is there? Like, for me, I could watch them three, Yoana, Whaley, and Rose just bang it out. Triple threat. Week after week. <laughs> I could watch them bang it out fight after fight, man. So I'm not sure who else is out there besides them. I think that's the hard thing with a sport like MMA is sometimes you do get these sort of outliers where you have someone like Rose, Joanna, and Ray Lee, where they're just the top three of their division, where it's just going to be them two, them three, I should say, in that trifecta where like rock beats fucking um, scissors, scissors beats paper, and it just goes around, goes around like that sort of thing. Same thing, a perfect example would be the featherweight. If Max gets through yeah. Yair, Volko's beat Max twice. However, it's just proved that some divisions, there's just people that are elite, they're cut above the rest. But I think that's also what makes the sport so great. Great because some people they underappreciate when you have people at such a high level until you see them what they can do to other competitors. So say Rose gets through Whaley and it's a dog fight, she gets it done. Then you might see her fight someone like Carla Esparza and gets it done in the first round or two. And like, fuck man, just how good is Rose when you can really start to appreciate the sort of champions that they are. Perth, the the great example of that is Volko against Ortega, man. It's mm -hmm. like Volko is so underappreciated with the Max fights because it's everyone loves Max, but until they put him against someone like Ortega, when Ortega's been doing work, knocking out Frankie Edgar and the zombie fights, then you like you really realize how good the real top of the heap is at, at featherweight and, and obviously at um flyweight with these guys. Yeah, exactly right. right. <laughs>
But we'll move down the we'll move down the card, man. We got the third Trevor Whitman guy, which intrigues me about this whole card. That Trevor Whitman's got his top three, or really his only three fighters, um, at the at the top of the top of the main card here, which is interesting. Well, but actually, but, it's changed. I saw it earlier yeah. up there. So Gaethje and Chandler opening the um, main card now yeah, to give Trevor more fight. time. Oh, yeah, yeah. The opening the card now. Yeah, was it for Trevor? Yes, yeah, for Whitman. He requested it, and they they agreed to it. So I think yeah. So. Yeah, it's Gaethje, Chandler, then Edgar, Vera, then Burgos, Cronfilla, then the next two Whitman yeah. fighters. So it works out better that way. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, just, it almost makes it more, like I just lean more toward Trevor Whitman guys now. Yeah, so do I, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, fuck, it's a perfect storm, man. But, um, yeah, we'll talk, we'll digest this fight yeah, anyway. We've yeah, got Gaethje, sure. Michael Chandler. Um, for me, I'm wrapped with this. I think as soon as I heard um, Chandler was coming to the UFC, I thought, and you look at the lightweight guys, you're like, I need to see him fight Justin Gaethje straight up. And now it's finally happening. I'm stoked on a personal note as a fan of Chandler and a fan of Gaethje. What are your thoughts on the matchup? And I think it's, I think it has like fight of a year contender written all over it to be honest. Like, I think I wish this fight were five rounds. Uh, it's a shame that it's three, but who knows? Three might be better because it might just be that straight explosive, just straight, bloodbath sort of war sort of thing i think it's going to be interesting to see how i think the biggest factor will be how chandler can cope with the leg kicks and also whose chin will hold up the best as we have seen before even a good example is hooker versus chandler you know hooker didn't get the win then he got like two or three car kicks and you can see they noticeably started to affect chandler and gaichi is some of the hardest kicks in that division also both of the chins are ridiculous sort of thing. Like Gaethje, I feel like both these fighters are going to get rocked. However, I think Gaethje recovers better from being rocked. Even though Chandler hits like an absolute truck, I still think Gaethje's one guy, like I don't think you can just one hit KO him. I think it has to be like that accumulative effect of damage. Whereas I think we've seen Chandler get dropped by lesser shots. And I think Gaethje hits pretty hard. So Purely off that, I think Gaethje, favouring Gaethje, but then again, Chandler's just an absolute freak athlete and a specimen sort of thing. And you see, like, his work ethic, his, like, will to win and everything, it's, like, it's almost a cut above the rest. Like, his drive and his internal belief is just ridiculous. So I'm thinking Gaethje, but, man, who knows? I'm just excited for this fight. Talking about Chandler, man, Chandler deserves some more credit for that. He cops a bit of flack, surprisingly, but I think he deserves a deserves more credit, man. He come into the UFC okay. with one mission, and he was clear with it. He's like, "I'm coming to be the UFC champion." Timed it perfectly, took a fucking terribly hard stylistic matchup in Dan Hooker, got the easy win, and then charges for the legit dark horse of the division in Charlie Olives. Almost got the job done in the first round, come up short, and now he's tackling someone like Gaethje. And I'm just like, I think he deserves more credit and I think we'll appreciate it depending on how this fight plays out. We'll really appreciate Chandler after this. Yeah, exactly right. Like you said, he's not taking the easy road whatsoever. Like he could have taken a top 10 guy, top five, then started working his way. But he came in straight away, Dan Hooker. He pretty much 10-8, Charles Oliveira in that first round. He got caught and got subbed in, like, and finished in the second. So like, that happens against the elite level guys. But I think this fight's going to sort of really showcase like his ability and really get the sort of fans appreciating like the talent and like the pure athlete and actual like high quality fighter he is sort of thing. For sure. Another little interesting thing that I'm 
trying to pay attention to in this fight is like Mike Chandler's a phenomenal wrestler. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got Gaethje that almost has like the infamous defensive wrestling that was so hyped over the Habib, you know, the heat, the Habib build up. It was all about his defensive wrestling. I feel like this might be, we talk about the fireworks and we talk about them on the feet, but I, I don't know. I feel like this could be the fight where we finally get to see Gaethje wrestle off his back. I know Habib's a terrible example because Habib's Habib, but I think this might be the fight where we get to see Gaethje um, show his infamous defensive wrestling. And it's, I think it's a little interesting fact. And I, I, I hope I, I do want to see him banging out, but I also want to see it on the ground and I want to see how their wrestling matches up. Yeah, exactly. Right. I do think it would be a good strategy for Chandler. If he really does, if he is content on trying to take H's head off, he needs to mix it in level changes and that, because it's a punch you don't see coming that knocks you out. So if he can, get a few takedowns, even if they get sprawled. All he needs with his athleticism is for Gaethje to drop his hand to defend that takedown for half a second, and then, boom, he's going to come up, throw them looping hooks and looping overhands, and can he can really catch him. And that might be one of the shots where we actually do see Gaethje just get flat out with the hands come down to defend the shots, late in the like, second, third round when that fatigue's really setting in. Chandler's still explosive, then he can fake the level change, come up. Or we might see Gaethje just be sort of like you said that defensive wrestling can just show Chandler shoots in and he just shrugs him off or who knows Chandler might we might be underselling Chandler wrestling here he might be able to just get his shots get Gage on the back and just do damage from the top sort of thing that's an interesting thing well you see how much of a threat it is when you see the way Dan Hooker tried to attack Chandler and he was so weary of the takedown is obviously one of the reasons why he got caught with that that looping overhand because he Man, Chandler's wrestling is such a threat that you've got to be weary and you've got to be backing up. So I'm intrigued how it plays out. Um, do you think the winner gets a title shot as well? Um, yeah, they have to, I think. I don't see yeah. who well was who who's Poirier's schedule. Oh no, Poirier's fighting Olive for the belt. So um unless that now, nah, even if that fight's a super competitive fight, I think they have to sort of thing. Especially yeah. unless Poirier goes out and oh but then again i'd love to see fucking poor Indian um gaichi again like who like man yeah. i think i don't yeah i think they should get a title shot because i think either way how these matchups plays out i think even chandler versus Oliveira, like even though we've just seen that like yeah. i'd love to see it again considering how polar opposites the first time was to the second round i'd love to see them two do it again 100%. I don't know if it's the same thing. Yeah, I don't think that fight goes the same way 10 times over. It's probably 5-5. Five, five. And I think that's the the story of lightweight, though, the top five. Hey, it's kind of like that. Yeah. Um, anyone can get it done on the day. So they're the big fights, the bigger fights on the card, man. Um, there's a few other fights I'm keen for personally. We yeah. mentioned one earlier, Frankie Edgar versus Cheeto Vera. What do you, what do you, what's your first take on that matchup? I think for Cheeto, man, he's, He's had a few opportunities, like he, he had the auto fight and he couldn't capitalise on it. Do you think he matches up well with Frankie Edgar? Uh, I think he does, but the only problem with Frankie is he's a guy you can never count out. Like Frankie's the yeah. type of guy he's always going to be in there. Even though we saw him get sort of starched by San Hagen by that fine knee, I think if that fight went on longer, it would have been a lot more competitive because Frankie's a very hard guy to fight. Frankie's been in there with Aldo for 20. He's been in there with Holloway for 25. He's not the sort of guy you can get in there and sort of 
unless you can do something spectacular like that, he's not the type of guy you're just going to go out there and sort of get through super quickly. So I think it's a good test for Chido. However, it's hard to read against Frankie because he is just such that, um, what would you say, just that well-experienced sort of, sort of veteran. And we've seen Cheeto, how he fights against these guys or he hasn't been able to really capitalize on it. If he does get it done, I think it will sort of show the growth of Cheeto. However, I think Frankie's a hard task for him. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Is there any other fights on this card that you would recommend to keep an eye out for? There's a couple that on my end that I'm like Jones and for personally, but I want to know if there's any. any yeah, so I'll go early prelims, Chris Barnett versus Gian Volante. Purely because Chris Barnett is super entertaining. Like I was lucky enough to see him live too. Like don't be me wrong, he gasses pretty quick, but he's an entertaining guy. Like his athleticism and stuff's good. Um, Edward Edmund Shabazian versus I'm gonna butcher this, but Nasseri Ivanov or whatever. Like that's also a good yeah. fight. Edmund's coming off a few, I think it's two or three fight losing skid. However, he's yeah. a very game fighter. He's very well rounded, and it's a good test for. Um, I think I'm think- stoked to. See- I think I'm stoked to see Edmund take that step back, though. I think mm-hmm. he almost got, like the Darren Till, got pushed pushed too fast. And he was, he was doing main events against the Brunsons and stuff. You see where Brunson's at now. I think this is a perfect step back for Edmund. There's no there's no limelight on him this time. And he can just hopefully get a cheeky win in the prelims and then work his way back up. Yes, yeah, spot on. Then you got, like, Phil Hawes, who's always an entertaining fighter. He's always explosive. Then you got... I didn't realize Aliquinta versus Bobby Green. That's just another yeah. two sort of lightweight, like almost OGs. That's a guaranteed banger. Yeah. And then obviously you got Alex Pierre, who is yeah. comes out of a knockout win over Izzy. Um, yeah. I think they're sort of giving him a bit of a gimme. I looked at the other guy, and he's I think it was twelve and four or something, but he's got four knockout losses. So I think Pierre <sighs> should be hoping for that sort of spectacular knockout, and they can slowly build him up like that. But yeah, man, I didn't realize this card is so fucking stacked. Eh? it's so good i think and there's a reason you talk about alex behater there there's a reason he's the feature prelim and i think ufc know exactly what they're doing they're trying to build they know exactly what they're doing and they know oh man well did you did you see his mma debut i don't know if his mma debut i forgot what promotion yeah and he knocked the dude out dude was out for like fucking three minutes they thought he was like dead he's got like francis power in his hands man he's scary i remember i watched a video i think it's Alex Pereira has the like scariest left hook in MMA or something. And yeah. it was just him for three minutes straight, just left hooking people. Some are this short and you just see people yeah. go stiff sort of thing. Like that bloke yeah. has bricks for hands. Yeah. Touch of death. I'm man. excited for that. So excited. Touch of death. Yeah, I think, but I think you spot on, man. This card, I, I just can't wait. Like it's it's gone under the radar a little bit because mm-hmm. like I said, we had the UFC last weekend, man, but I just can't wait. The embedded's have already started. Can't wait for the press conference, the the shit chat with Colby and Usman, man, the countdowns, all of it. I'm just so I'm juicing about this one, man. Oh. Um we'll see where are you at now. So what's what's we'll we'll jump to you quickly, man. Any any fight news on your end? You know the world's opening back up for us finally. Mm-hmm. Um where are you at? You have anything in the works? Nothing yet. I got my name down on the urban fight night for the seventeenth. However, I haven't got I put it down for Bantamweight and there's just there's been um sort of no matchups available, that sort of thing that offered me a fighter um 145, but I've been like good diet and everything. So like realistically, maybe if I was an amateur, I wouldn't mind taking that jump back up. But right now I'm pretty sort of stringent. I'm pretty strict on like, no, I wanna I wanna fight in my natural vision. I wanna sort of 
get used to the cuts, get everything and do everything right sort of thing. Like, especially seeing as um, I'm hoping I can get a fight in there. But if not, as you said, the world is opening up, then I'm sure there's going to be an eternal card, probably early January, early February sort of thing. I'm already, I'm in camp now training for it, training and dieting for it. So hopefully something comes up. But if not, I can just use this camp as sort of like, uh, like a, almost like a pre-camp to jump straight back into the next one. And then hopefully when the borders open up to Queensland, I can get on more eternal. Well, because how eternal works, they're more willing to fly guys in a state and stuff like that. So I'll be able to find more matchups like that. Victoria's opened up, so I can always go down to Hex and that. There's a few people over in Perth and that as well, but who knows when Perth's going to be open. That's going to be a while down the line. But fingers crossed I can get on the 17th for Urban. But if not, I'm looking at like a – right now, like pretty much I'll take a fight pretty much from December onwards. I just want to fight. I just want to ban away, get a ban away fight out there and get back in the sort of um, competitive scene of things. Bro, I fucking pray you get on that Urban <laughs> fight. No, we do. We do some of the promotion shit for them, so we'll probably be there as well. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Well, even if even if I don't get a fight, I'm going to be up there anyway, purely because we already got um three boys from freestyle on the card, so we're already getting like a good team and that around for us. So it should be a good night. Yeah, Fuck yeah, sick man! Exciting times, like you said, the world's opening back back up. My fingers are crossed that you get on the um urban fight night. It would obviously. Obviously, as a bantamweight fight, like you said, it would be, be silly to take a, a featherweight fight, especially jumping into the pros, man. But I'm excited for you, man. I'm excited for what 2022 has for you, man. We're going to be in your corner as always. You're always going to have a platform here to be able to say whatever you want, whenever you want, talk some shit, call some people out. <laughs> but I'm, ex- I'm excited, man. So that's all we got today, brother. It's, I think we're an hour in. We talk some shit and... I'm excited, man. Thank you for doing this, Colby. We appreciate it as always, and we'll definitely be chatting soon, man. Legends, thanks for having me on. Well, good, man. Also, we have some jumpers for you too. We got oh, we'll you, get- Alex, and Joe. We got some jumpers for you. We'll drop them oh, off. Beautiful legends. He lives in Wingy. You can drop them. <laughs> no dramas, man. We'll, right. we'll hook the boys up. Thank you very much, bro. And like I said, we'll talk soon. Later, bro. Beautiful. Thanks, boys.